0: Alright, hello, hello everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain, I hope you're doing well. I am going to be doing a little bit of a chat, I guess, about the big issue that's going on at the moment, which is free speech, do we have it, what are the role of tech companies, what is the role of government, will regulation ever conceivably work, and what are our options going forward. These are all dire foundational questions that we need to wrestle with and grapple with. And it's kind of funny because I thought this was kind of in the rear view. I thought that this question or this issue of free speech was was settled science, you know, like, like the earth is a steer and slavery is bad and we should all be equal under the law, you know, just as ideals... I kind of thought the free speech thing was, uh, as they say, done and dusted, but um, it's not. It's not. It is something that still seems to be a challenge for people to get a hold of, to, to fathom, to understand, to, to process. What is the point? And there is this terrible thing that's been occurring. I'm sure you've seen it a million times. Where somebody says, well, you know, that's not free speech, that's hate speech, that's uh, problematic speech, that's... uh," You see it, um, there's a couple of things that that really help you to understand when someone is like propagandizing NPC talk, if that makes any sense. And the propagandizing of NPC talk often has a lot to do with spewing or uh, invective. It's like when they use the word grift, Uh, it's just one of these things that shows up as um, uh, just a whole bunch of stuff that uh, makes makes no sense. So you'll see, of course, the, the general pattern of, of how do you restrict free speech. Well, first of all, to restrict free speech, you need to have a massive imbalance between citizens and the media. So what happens is the media, and I'm talking about America, and of course I'm no lawyer, so feel free to... Oh, yeah, if you throw up your super chats, I'll get them. I'll get to them, I promise. But um, in America, if you're a public figure, the media can say more or less anything that they want about you. And this is true in other places as well. In England, it's not quite as true, and, and uh, New Zealand and so on. But in, in America and, and other places, the media can basically say whatever they want about you, and you have almost no recourse. Because there's like a standard which says, well, you have to prove that they knew it was false, published it anyway. They did it with meanness, malice in their heart. I mean, all things that you can't really establish. And because this standard is known, people just just bypass it or don't record it, right? So you have to have this massive imbalance. And so what happens is you just start slandering entire swaths. Of people, people who say, "Well, I'm not far right," but they get called far right, which is, of course, as far as euphemism for fascist, uh, Hitler, Nazi, all this kind of garbage. And then what happens is people start fighting back, and they get angry, and then they say, "Ah, you see, they're getting angry; they're spewing hate speech, and therefore they insult people more, and then people get even angrier." And you you understand how this cycle works? It's really, uh, it's really terrible. Um, reputation is something that you can what is the old saying you can spend a lifetime cultivating it only to have it destroyed in a moment and a reputation is a is a precious thing and we now have a real bifurcation in society Uh, Tim Pool who's a a very sharp young man and well worth following Tim Pool posted something that said it's not that there are these extremists. He did a a sort of survey from the early 90s and then compared it to much more recently. And you think of sort of twin, twin peaks, like two overlapping triangles, fairly close together. That was the left and then that was the right. Now, you know, a couple decades later, what's happened is the right has remained relatively the same, but the left has gone very hard left. The left has gone completely off the rails. They've been dragged further and further leftwards by... Uh, race baiting and and class baiting and uh, all of the resentful hyperbole that I, I dare say spews out of the mouths of people who believe that every difference in group outcomes is the result of prejudice so what's happening now is people are living in two different realities as scott adams talked about in the movie you should really watch called Hoaxed at hoaxmovie.com scott adams talks about like two people watching the same movie but they're actually watching different movies because of how they are interpreted uh, in their in their own minds so when it comes to reputation it's this wild thing now where there are people who believe what the media says about people and say oh well this guy is far right or this woman is an extremist or you know whatever they they come up with right a racist and sexist misogynist whatever right And there are other people who know that the media lies perpetually, and therefore, those people, I won't say they view it as a badge of honor, but they simply don't believe what the media says. And so these two extraordinarily bifurcated views of the same situation is creating these two wildly opposing realities. And you really can't survive in a society if you have massively opposing I mean if your epistemology is, is different, like your study of of or your belief on how, how knowledge is accumulated, if your epistemology is oppositional, you end up with different metaphysics, almost like a different reality that you're working in. And if there's not a willingness to come together under the sort of umbrella of reason and evidence, which is always tricky, always tough. I understand that people have beliefs and all. But if there's this general unwillingness to come together under the umbrella of reason and evidence, and negotiate our differences according to objective standards, society can't can't survive. Like, civilization can't survive. Civilization is the agreement to tame our angry will-to-power Darwinian ego under the umbrella of reason and evidence, and to allow the arbitration of a third party. And that third party can't fundamentally be political, it can't fundamentally be the court system because you can't have everyone taking every disagreement to the court system. The different reality that people have means that they have no place to meet and negotiate. They have no place to meet and negotiate. So, I mean, there's stuff on the left that I accept and and I think they have good critiques of American imperialism. It'd be nice if they critiqued American imperialism that didn't necessarily immediately just overlap on the dictatorships that they like. I mean one of the reasons they were against the war in Korea uh, in the 50s one of the reasons they were against the war in Vietnam in the 60s is that America was fighting communist dictatorships and so I mean but, I, but there's a good critique of American imperialism and there is good critiques of widening income gaps a widening income disparities in the United States. The middle class is being hollowed out now. So, so the identification of the issues on the left, I think, is is fantastic. And there certainly are issues with racism, and there certainly are issues with sexism. Although, again, it can't be just a one way street. Racism can't always mean anti black from white. Uh, sexism can't always mean anti female from male. There's lots of more nuance that that really should be explored in these topics. But they've got some good critiques and good information to bring to bear on the table or bring it back to the table but and the, the right have good critiques as well the right goes a little bit far i think in the pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing there is a tough kind of finger wagging old testament sternness to the right which can be kind of annoying it's sort of encapsulated by something i've talked about a long time ago the um Old economy, Steve, you know, this guy with the feathered hair from a 1970s yearbook, I guess, became famous. You know, like, uh, uh, work two months in the summer, pay off your entire year of college. And um, people say, uh, this, this guy, oh, you get fired from one job, walk across the street, get another job. You know, just how the economy used to be. And so the people who had access to that kind of growth and opportunity and relatively low taxation and so on, particularly white males who face diversity barriers that are quite significant. Excuse me, I can't edit this, but I'm about to sneeze. Oh, that's attractive, isn't it? But um, they do sort of say, well, you know, if you you graduated with student debt, that's just your own fault. That's just, you know, and so there's too much. They understand all of the massive amounts of propaganda that go into college, that, that you'll never be a success, that you can't get anywhere without college, which is often transmitted over the internet, along the code of companies whose founders didn't complete college, but, you know, what's it, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and so on. A huge amount of propaganda, and, uh, and a huge amount of, you know, well, college is your path to X, Y, and Z. No particular connection between the needs of businesses and colleges themselves, as I've sort of pointed out in the past. Businesses should be funding college degrees because that way you get guaranteed job placements when you're done. But and that's actually the way it worked for, for my dad. So it's not it's not a new idea of mine. It's used to be much more common. But there's a huge amount of propaganda, and it's and and being able to pay this stuff off is really really tough. I think it was in the '90s was under Clinton where they said you can't discharge your student debts through bankruptcy anymore. So and of course back in the day, like way back and sort of post-second World war period up, up to the 70s and sometimes even later, the basic reality was only 10% of the population went to college. So college really, really meant something. Because, I mean, as a kind of proxy IQ test, it wasn't too bad. Now, what is it, 50% of people are, are going to college, so it's just no longer exclusive, it's no longer a proxy IQ test, and of course the IQ test should be the substitute for college. If you really want to help poor kids who are smart, and there are many poor kids who are smart, I grew up with some of them, then you simply say that companies should hire or should be allowed to use completely blind IQ tests in the hiring standard. Because an IQ test will predict success in a complex job 80% of the time, 80% of the time. And it's the the best metric around. It would really, really help smart people. It would really, really help poor kids who then wouldn't be laboring under college but could, you know, instead of paying $50,000 or $100,000 for college, they could simply pay a couple hundred bucks for an IQ test and shop that around. Uh, and, of course, the IQ test would have to be, you know, in, in order to eliminate questions of racism and sexism, the IQ test, you wouldn't know the name, the gender, the age, the the race, anything like that. It would just be completely blind IQ test. And that would be very helpful. But, of course, uh, that goes against um, uh, a lot of uh, leftist preferences. So they're willing to sacrifice the poor in order to maintain their group collision course identitarianism. So... But yeah, so I mean, as you've probably heard, there were a number of people who were kicked off Facebook, not as far as I understand it for specific violations of specific policies, but just, I'm not even going to repeat the pejoratives here, but uh, for, for being negative in, in various ways. And that's uh, a big problem. So they kicked off a bunch of people who are somewhat on the right, although in general, being critical of the left is enough for the left to call you far right. And then Louis Farrakhan, who was also kicked off and who was also reported in mainstream media as Louis Farrakhan being far right. When if you look at all the pictures of him with the Democrats, uh, it's a little hard to sustain that particular fiction. But it's rough. It's rough. And it is gearing up for election season. I said some months ago that with the failure of the Mueller investigation, what was going to happen was the left, whatever came next was going to be worse. Because they were hoping that the Mueller investigation, of course, was going to give them grounds for impeachment or at least cripple the presidency. And when the Mueller investigation caved, then they had to start doing something else, right? They're not just going to lay down. They're not just going to give up the ghost, so to speak. They have to – because they're just trying to get to 2024. They want to – Not They want Trump obviously not to get in in 2020, they just need to keep their immigration policies going until 2024 when they have all the demographics they need for no Republican ever to be elected again in any significant way. But after the Mueller investigation failed, they needed to start working on, I think, deplatforming because otherwise, I mean, they know, they know. They know the role that social media played in Brexit, they know the role that social media played in getting Trump into office and other nationalistic and populist movements, and remember, for the left, the success of Trump is is a real catastrophe. And look, I get a lot of things he's been. on. There's no wall, uh, no prosecutions of of corrupt members of the former administration. There's uh, no control over immigration, and but you know, but on the on the other hand, has been. There's Kavanaugh and 150 other judges have been appointed who are not liberal lunatics. And uh, the economy is doing well, what was it 275,000 jobs was the last job growth. It's well north of 3% growth, which, of course, Obama said was impossible. <laughs> Funny story, it turns out that a guy who's got 50 years or 40 years experience in the highest levels of business knows a little bit more about business than a community organizer. But um, so, so the success is really, really bad because the more people who get converted from Welfare receivers to taxpayers. Well, the less support you have for a big interventionist take and redistribute kind of government, right? So uh, the success, like more people getting off welfare, more lowest Hispanic rates of uh, unemployment, lowest American rates of, of un- uh, African American rates of unemployment in in forever. This is all a disaster for the left. Like when you're really hell bent on taking something down, when it gets stronger, well, you're not happy, right? So what are they doing? They they can't win. On, on arguments, they can't win on the economy, they can't win on the data, they can't win on history, and they get eviscerated by the memes of production, right, meme warfare takes them down, and so they're too angry and too panicked to, to be funny, and the right does have sort of a monopoly on caustic humor that really changes minds, and this is one of the reasons why you have this terrible legislation going on in Europe to, to control this kind of copyright stuff. So they have to start working to deplatform, and of course it makes no sense, you know, that you still have terrorist groups that have full access to Facebook, but Paul Joseph Watson does not, and Paul Joseph Watson is caustic and funny and, I won't say mild, because he's a powerful thinker in his own way, and I like Paul a lot, we've done shows together, but it is something that he's not in any way extreme not in any way that I can think of and again, I haven't reviewed all of his work but I mean I, I can' I can't, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine And this is this is terrible stuff. this is terrible stuff. We need to have conversation so that we can get to the truth and this this idea well you know Paul believed something bad in the past or, or so-and-so believed something that turned out to be false and so that's natural. You know, whenever you're pushing the frontiers of knowledge, whenever you're out there in between the stars, uh, whenever you're out there in the hinterlands, whenever you're exploring virgin territory, you're going to get lost. You're gonna. It happens to me. It, it happens to you if you explore new territory, new ideas, you entertain new thoughts, you look into new data, and then you find out maybe it's not the case. And, you, you know, you, you're adjusting. You're adjusting. Lewis and Clark did not take a particular beeline when they were out there exploring North America. They got lost because they were doing new territory. So this idea that you must both be an original and creative thinker and never make mistakes is entirely contradictory. You cannot have it both ways. You can't do it both ways at all. So yeah, Paul believed some things in the past that aren't that he wouldn't accept uh, uh, at the moment. And, and, and the same thing is true of me as well. And the same thing is true of everyone. Show me someone who has exactly the same ideas as they did 10 years ago. And I'll show you someone who's never grown uh, as a thinker and who's never taken any risks as a thinker and an analyzer of, of thoughts and events. So this digging back a, a decade or more to to find something that was negative or, or could be sort of mocked and so on. And... I mean, we all know how this argument works, right? This argument is, is so basic, it's ridiculous. And it's embarrassing, almost to bring it up, especially with such an intelligent audience as this, but, I mean, we know the reality. or it's The reality is, is, is very simple. The reality is that person X, who had some belief in the past that turns out to not be true, never started a war in Libya, never started the invasion of Iraq. And, and just those two. Just just those two. And it's hard to imagine there's any kind of... I call it sort of the entrepreneurial media, because it's not the corporate media. So entrepreneurial media tends to be a relatively small group of people or sometimes just a solo person working with, you know, a, a camera, a, a microphone, and, and their best arguments for truth. So the entrepreneurial media doesn't start wars doesn't start riots doesn't start I mean the destruction of Libya is one of the great catastrophes of world history the destruction of Libya it's hard to imagine anything worse that could have happened to north africa everything anything worse that could have happened to europe of course because libya was the the gatekeeper between africa and the mediterranean and therefore europe and this is what Gaddafi said he said you take me out because he knew right you take me out and and you know a million boats are gonna sail across the Europe and um, you look at uh, uh, what's gone on in Iraq now Iraq is actually doing a little bit better than some people think but my goodness he's not it's not doing better for the hundreds of thousands of Iraqis who were killed both directly and indirectly it's not doing better for the forces and I, I remember talking to a soldier many moons ago, who was telling me all about his deployments in the Middle East. And I do remember saying to him, I said, do do you find it odd, do you find it strange that you're out there in the Middle East guarding Lebanon and and, um, Kuwait and and all these other areas in, in Iraq, that you're out there While America has practically no border to the south, you know, it's called the Department of Defense, it's supposed to defend America, and instead all the troops are at 700 plus military bases around the world, and the southern border is just a a welfare enticing walkabout run by cartels. And by the way, the, the Pope gave half a million dollars to people crossing the border by I mean, how that money is not going to end up in the hands of cartels? I have no idea. That Pope is... Well, let's not go there. <laughs> it's, it's a whole big topic regarding the Pope. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild thing that that you have all these troops all around the world. You've, you've got wall construction in Israel. You've got wall construction in Lebanon. Mostly or, or significantly funded by the United States. There's no wall in America. You've got this, um, was it $700 billion plus a year Department of Defense that's defending everything except America and attacking everything except those coming into America. And it's a very strange phenomenon. Now, it's not strange, of course, if you understand that the left is courting votes. And although half of ICE agents are Hispanics and who are doing their very best to try and, you know, if, if you flee Mexico, you don't want Mexico catching up with you and right, flowing into your, your neighborhood. So, Uh, Great, great uh, respect and honor to those who are working in that very difficult and dangerous field. But it is a very strange phenomenon. And what you can talk about and what you can't talk about is just rapidly narrowing in particularly terrible ways. Where the conversation is choked off, where the conversation is killed. Very bad things, Fester. I I said this on Twitter. I said, listen, if your ideas are good they should be aired so that we can be instructed. If your ideas are bad, they should be aired so that you can be instructed. Because if you ban or, or crush people's lawful speech, well, it's like a rattlesnake. I mean, you cut off the rattle, but you don't cut off the head which means that bad ideas flourish, they go into subcultures, they're isolated from more reasonable people coming in and saying, don't do it this way, or here's the evidence against what you say, which allows you to, quote, deradicalize. I'm not sure what radicalization means, but generally it means being in a hermetically sealed biosphere of misinformation and never poking your head outside of it, which, again, back to universities. But if we don't have the opportunity to see where the bad ideas are and engage with them, those bad ideas will flourish without intervention. And that is not, that is not a good plan for society. And I think it's the last thing I sort of wanted to say about all of this free speech stuff. I mean, I dislike enormously a wide variety of ideologies that are poisonous and dangerous and and frankly murderous when implemented in history. But I I do think that they should have the right to speak. I don't want to be forced to fund them, in particular through university uh, taxes for university subsidies and so on. But I, they should be allowed to speak because I, I want to. You know, I want to. You know, if you're in a fight, you shoot up a flare, right, so you can see what's going on. But if you can't see what's going on we already have lost everything that could potentially tie us together. We've already lost the big tent where we can meet and reason with each other. And those who can't be reasoned with can be contrasted with those who can be reasoned with, and hopefully, you know, I don't want to say ostracism like they should be banned, but ostracism like reasonable people don't associate with the crazies, right? So if you want to get into the conversation with reasonable people then you need to be reasonable and if you're not going to be reasonable you're not going to be part of that conversation that's a kind of ostracism that's not the same as banning people because they should still have access to um, forms of communication where they're engaged in, in lawful speech but man it is um, it, it's getting it's getting rough out there it's getting brutal out there and it is going to escalate to to violence that's what happens in history. I mean, that's what happens. You know, it's it's, and this is not 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 an original thought of mine by any stretch of the imagination. This goes all the way back to JFK, who said, "Those who make peaceful revolutions impossible make violent revolutions inevitable." And if we if people are not allowed to be part of the public conversation and change people's minds, even though what they're engaging in is lawful speech, Well, the that- they're not just going to give up. They're not just going to say, well, okay, I guess I'll just be quiet and, and conform to the masses. And the reason why I'm... the Voltaire's old statement, right? I, I disagree with everything you say, but would defend to the death your right to say it. The reason we say that is because the moment you grant a monopolistic, coercive power to the state, which is the only power the state really has, the moment you grant that to the state to control speech, you're done. Maybe it swings your way for six months but then it's going to swing against you and then you've got this great prize at the center of the government you've got this amazing prize at the center of the government and that prize is wow if we get into power we can control speech itself we can control language we can control debates we can control discourse we can ban people from the public square oh how wonderful say sayeth the sophists and the coercive idiots right And so, of course, we have to have it just as a bedrock principle that unless you're directly encouraging or advocating the use of violence and, you know, this old fire in a crowded theater, which to my knowledge has never actually happened. It's just one of these sort of examples that people give. But, yeah, lawful speech. People who can't handle debates, like there's a very dangerous combination and the dangerous combination goes something like this. If you are... Certain and wrong, you're very dangerous. You're very dangerous because it, this is one of the things that escalates to violence very quickly. Because if you're certain, you know, I, I have debates all the time on my show, uh, public and, and uh, with intellectuals and, and with Paul Craig Roberts and with Peter Schiff and with Peter Joseph. And I have debates all the time. I have debates with listeners. They call in want to criticize my theory of ethics or or you name it, peaceful parenting, I have debates all the time. Because I'm certain about some things, but I know what the hell I'm talking about. So it's fine. You can be certain if you know what you're talking about. And then if you are certain, it's like, you know, bring it on, right? Bring it on. But people who are certain and they don't have knowledge are terrified of debate because debate will undo the false certainty that is really the basis of their personality. It's like Being possessed by reality Or it's sort of like If someone says Oh yeah, no, I'm a Krav Maga expert Or or I'm an expert in some form of martial arts Or something like that, right? And and they're lying, right? They're just saying it to, to sound cool or whatever Then the last thing they want Is to actually get in a fight, right? Because, you know, if this guy Is constantly going on about his judo expertise Or his karate expertise And annoyingly pronounces it like Pusha then if there's some fight and people are like, dude, unleash your hand weapons from hell, right? He doesn't want that test because he's lying. He's lying about knowing martial arts. so He doesn't want any kind of fight. And if you're certain and you're wrong and you're stupid and you have no basis, you don't want to get into a debate. You just want to hold on to that certainty. And those people are very dangerous. To be certain and to be wrong is a deadly combination. Especially if kinda of deep down you know you know. You know. I mean most people are not pursuing virtue, they're just trying to get resources. That's all they're doing. So if all of these people who are on TV who are saying, Yeah, it's good that they're silent, they were just spewing hatred, they contribute no good to our society, blah 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 no understanding of the principle of free speech, and they are so deluded and so dumb that they imagine that they're always going to have the whip in their own hand, and no one's ever going to grab the whip from their hand and use it against them. Because it doesn't take a... I mean, you don't have to see through time. You don't have to see from season one of Game of Thrones to the absolute catastrophic of of the ending. You don't have to see through time. You don't have to be some kind of stone genius. You don't have to recreate Einstein's general theory of relativity using popsicle sticks and silly putty. All you have to do is say, well if someone's going to get this power it ain't going to be me me forever because the shifting sands and tides and back and forth of human power and frailty and and greed and so on you just don't want don't don't want the go- you don't want the government to do anything that you wouldn't be willing to give that power to your worst enemy right I mean of course right we all understand this so you just have to be kind of pig ignorant stupid to say oh yes well we should just Purge these people from the public discourse because they provide no good to society. Yet still they've started no wars. The people who've been wrong about things in the past, even egregiously wrong, they still haven't started any wars. And if being wrong about things is so terrible, well, communists shouldn't be allowed to speak, right? I mean, if, if that's the argument... Because communism, as an ideology, has killed well north of one hundred million people in a hundred years. That's a that's a that's a million people a year. That's that that's a lot. What is that? Three thousand a day? Three thirty thousand a day? Oh man, gosh, I am terrible at this on the fly math. I shouldn't. I should just step back from that crevasse. But that's a that's a lot of people. And advocating for communism, how is that not advocating for the inevitable violence that accrues under communism? I mean, it's not like you don't know. How is that not shouting gulag in a crowded theater? Anyway, so this, it's all terrible. It's all garbage, and we need to fight back. Now, as far as government regulation goes, regulating, there have been a bunch of suggestions floating around, and, and I'll just sort of touch on them briefly here, and then I'll get to the Super Chats. Thank you for your patience, my friends. But, so one of them, of course, is that the difference between... A publisher and a platform, which I've touched on before, I'll just mention it briefly here, is kind of important. So, if you are a platform, then you just, you are a neutral place where people can post ideas. And then, let's say that somebody says, so and so is a murderer on this platform, right? Well, you're not sitting there saying, well, I approve of this and I disapprove of that and this is valid and this is not valid and so on, right? And so, if you are. A platform then people can say the most egregious things and you can't be held liable for defamation or whatever it is that they're they're saying right that's because hey man we're we're just you know like the guy who builds the road is not liable for the getaway car uh, from the bank robbery right i mean he just they just built the road it's the you know, whatever right he's not liable for hit and run right now, unless you build the road specifically for the guy to get away through the woods or something, like whatever it is, right? So, yeah, you know, just, just, just have a platform here, man. Just people can say whatever they want, and if if someone says something bad, then you know, certainly if they say something illegal, we'll we'll move it. Uh, but uh, you know, if they say something bad, you take it up with them. You know, we're we're. You don't you don't blame the glass for the view on the other side, right? I mean, if you don't like the view, you got you got to move. You can blame the glass, right? So it's just a clear pane. People post what they want and we're not liable for the content of what they post. Now that is a platform. Now the publisher is a different matter. So the publisher hires writers and commissions articles and vets and has lawyers and and so on, and therefore they are responsible for what is going on in their magazine or their newspaper or whatever, right they're responsible they they curate they they create, they approve they have a whole legal department and so they're responsible for what goes on on their platform, which is why um it was Rolling Stone got sued if I remember rightly for the um uh, the uh, the frat boy uh, rape stuff and uh, Nick Sandman is now. I think, suing CNN for, for considerable amounts of money because they're not just a, hey, man, we're just a neutral third party and people just use our stuff and all that. They're, just, they're responsible. So in order to maintain your immunity from liability for what's posted on your platform, you have to be neutral. You have to be neutral you can't have your finger on the scale you can't say well this is uh, oh I like these guys I'm going to promote them I don't like these guys I'm going to suppress you can't you can't as far as I know again I'm no lawyer look all this stuff up yourself and so if tech giants are filtering or banning based upon ideology then I don't see how they can maintain the claim of pure neutrality and their business model is only sustainable if they maintain neutrality, right? If, if they are a platform, not a publisher. Because if they switch to being a publisher, then they can be sued for the content of what's on their site, and there's no possibility that they can review everything that gets posted. Obviously, obviously. I don't even need to say it. There are billions of people using this stuff. So that is the big difference. And... How that gets judged, I don't know. Some other people have suggested that Trump could say, look, if you want if you want contracts from the federal government, then you have to be neutral in how you apply free speech standards. And you can't be banning people based upon their lawful speech. And that's something else that, that could happen. And the tech giants take a lot of money from the government or from the taxpayers and so on. So it's not necessarily you've got to create a ministry of truth and, and oversee all of these... I mean, there's lots of mechanisms in place that would solve the problem. I mean, if if the government said, well, you have to show that you're being neutral and it doesn't look like you're being neutral, if they said that, I don't know what they would say, but if they said something like this to XYZ tech company, they said, look, it doesn't look particularly like you're being neutral because you're letting this groups on who are really advocating violence. These people have been kicked off who are not advocating violence, and so on, right? So we're going to need to review um, your neutrality clause of of the law. Now, if, if that were to happen, I mean, the shareholders would go nuts, obviously, right? Because it would be threatening the entire value of the company, And so they would probably say, listen, we're going to do an internal audit, we're going to make sure, blah, 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 and we're going to give real training to our people, or whatever it is, right? But the problem is, of course, that the HR departments, I think, have been pretty well radicalized in these companies, and I've gone into the reasons for that in the past. So I don't need to sort of do them again here, but that's one way that would cause uh, a significant reform, because, I mean, I think these companies do provide a lot of value to the world, But uh, if they want to keep this immunity, I think they do have to make sure that they don't have their fingers on the scale when it comes to who they ban and and, and why. And so, all right. I wanted to just uh, do that little bit of an intro. Thank you so much for your patience. Please talk about this with people. Please remind people of the importance of free speech. Please, please, please make sure... That people know that if we lose free speech, I'm I'm not kidding. This this world, this Western world, will scarcely be worth living in, uh, and uh, there will be many in the long run who may not uh, enjoy that exalted state for for long. All right, so let me just um, have a quick look uh, down in here and see where we are. Thank you very much for everyone and for your support. If you want to do, if you want to do, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Or just go to freedomainradio.com, there's a little donate button. That's also very, very helpful, but I want to make sure that I get to what people said. Stephen Mulraney, thank you very much for your support. Uh, ben I says, hey, Stefan, thanks for your content. Shia Lin says, hey, Stefan, if you were to create a utopian society, how would you do this? It's a fine question, my monk-like friend. And, uh, oh, I really was going to just do the super jets, but... I've had a couple of comments. They don't get under my skin because, again, I, I, I'm comfortable with, very comfortable with my conscience and all that, but comments of like, hey, Steph, man, what happened to your voluntarism? What happened to your anarchism? What happened to your commitment to libertarianism? And it's like, I don't know. What does Michael Malice call them, midwits? But that's not, it's not how things work. Like, if you and I are driving to Vegas, I think we've got enough gas to get there. And then it, I'm like, oh, Vegas is like 200 kilometers away, and we've only got 50 kilometers worth of gas left. And I say, we've got to pull off the highway, and we've got to go and get gas. Do you start screaming at me? Hey, man, I thought you wanted to get to Vegas. You're leaving the road that leads to Vegas. Why don't you want to go to Vegas anymore? You betrayed Vegas. You will be one of the things that stays in Vegas, I think. But, I mean, no, you you, you know, I, I thought we had generations to achieve a freer society. Demographics say otherwise. So I would to stop to get gas. It doesn't mean I don't want to get to Vegas. <laughs> Come on. It's ridiculous. So to create a utopian society, I just released a, a video, um, Top 5 Parenting Solutions, which you should check out. You parent peacefully. Uh, And when you parent peacefully, then children grow up without a fear and obsequience, and obedience to authority, which means they're going to view the state as something anachronistic and and out of their mindset, and you'll get more and more people who have less and less confidence in and fear of authority. Plus, they'll be healthy and self-regulating, so you won't have all of this dysfunction that people use as the excuse for giving the state more and more power. So, anyway. All right, Marushia Dark says, my problem with calling social media a right is eventually you get the blowback of bake the cake where private forums can't have in-group preference. Yeah, that's a good... uh, That certainly is a good point. And this is why some people say, well, if you have over a million subscribers or uh, not a million subscribers, a million users of your platform, then you have particular rules and so on. So... Yeah, that is, that is definitely a, a tough challenge, right? So the argument is, let's say that you have um, uh, uh, an Indians in Indiana forum, right? And it's like, well, you know, you, you know, it's generally about Indians from Indiana. And if a bunch of people who aren't that way and they say, well, no, we want this really to be for Indians from Indiana. And it's like, no, everyone has a right to social media. So you can't, right? So I, I get all of that. And how that is solved... I mean, again, I I sort of hate this, well, if you have a million, all right. I mean, but there there are different rules for different Like, If you have a different size corporation, like if you have a certain number of employees, then you have to go into Obamacare. If you have a certain number of employees, you have to subscribe to diversity quotas and so on and and hire certain groups and, and genders. So, you know, maybe you just create a sort of under this, you're fine, over this, whatever, right? So, uh, again, I know that's not objective, but, you know, we we have to work with what is. It would be nice to to have a more objective and universal standard. But the only way we're going to get to a free society is if we maintain free speech. And if we lose free speech, I mean, nothing nothing means anything. It's all just a matter then of just batting down the hatches and, and try and ride out whatever hellscape is coming. So whatever helps prop up free speech at the moment, I'm for because when you wet finger that, candle i mean the light goes out all over the world so zen work zen work thank you for your support frank s same thing Marusha dark says legally hate is a motive not a crime in itself well of course of course of course hate is not a crime and of course there's no such thing as hate speech it's just a term invented by people who aren't very smart who want to shut down discourse that they can't answer right it's not hate speech they hate facts they hate facts that go against the narrative, and so they experience the emotion of panic when confronted with counterfactuals. And, like, all that means is debates are not for you. Like, debates aren't for everyone. Nothing wrong with it. Like, if you're terrified and faint at the sight of blood, don't be a surgeon. <laughs> you know, it's not for everyone. Um, what's that, Chris Pine? In Wonder Woman, she's like, ah, oh, London, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's not for everyone. He, I, it's a, he's got a wonderful way of delivering um, his his lines. He's a very, very talented guy and a good singer, too, as you'll see. But uh, Into the Woods, he's in, I think. Agony. But anyway, so people experience this panic when they have counterfactuals and they they, they can't sleep and they're, oh, right, they, they get really angry. It's like, okay, well, you, you're just too emotional to debate. That's fine. There's nothing that's nothing wrong with that. You, you you may be wonderful at other things, like <laughs> making babies. Like it it just means you're not good at debating. It's not you you're too volatile. You're you're too emotional. You can't master yourself to the point where you can have a rational discussion. But the people want to stay in debates cuz they want to, you know, like like when I was a kid, uh, I guess we used to dress up uh, as adults, right? We used to put on you know, we'd find the one guy who had a dad in the neighborhood, <laughs> and we'd put on his shoes and walk around with a little pipe stick it out and a Sherlock Holmes hat halfway down our nose, and we'd we'd dress up like adults. But that didn't mean we could go vote and open a bank account and take out a mortgage. It just meant we were dressing up as adults. And people like to dress up as, as rational thinkers who can have a productive debate, but they're not. They're, they're hysterical. They're angry. They're volatile. They're emotional. They're Immature. It's not, it's not for you. It's not for you. And listen, it's, there's no shame in it. Not everything is for everyone. And so you, you have to invent this thing called hate speech because it matches your emotional reaction to counterfactuals, to arguments that you can't push back against. So you invent this thing called hate speech because somehow as- ascribing a negative intent to some piece of language It's not false argument. The intelligent thing is false argument, invalid argument, argument not supported by reason and evidence. It's rebuttal. That's how you you do it. But if you have incredibly strong emotional reactions and you hate what's being said but you can't disprove it, then you just invent this category called hate because hate is a negative emotion. At least against some people, you're allowed to hate uh, uh, fascists and you're allowed to hate some particular ideologies not really allowed to hate communism, apparently. But um, yeah, it's no, it, it's it may be a motive. Hate may be a motive, but no, of course, of course, emotions are not crime, and of course, there's no such thing as hate speech. It's just something invented by people who desperately want to play act as debaters who can't debate. All right, Fernando Bugarin, thank you very much. Esoteric dichotomy, thank you so much again. Uh, Hir- Hirosh Heed says, "Missed you in Vancouver. Please try again." F. Antifa. Thank you. Sean Piper says, Thank you, Stefan, for all that you do. Thank you, Sean. That's very kind. Derek Brown says, Where do your your views diverge with Ayn Rand? Now, I've done... uh, I never got to the fourth part. Um, uh, 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 Events overwhelmed me, I guess you could say. I made the choice not to. So, with Ayn Rand, I'm down with the metaphysics, down with the epistemology. But the ethics and politics is where I diverge. So, Ayn Rand... Her argument is that what is virtuous is that which is good for mankind, that which aids the survival and flourishing of mankind. But that's a collectivist concept because there are individuals who do enormously well. I mean, Al Gore has made ungodly amounts of money from carbon taxes and and credits and climate scares and so on. And I mean, look at the amount of money that Barack Obama has made and the Clintons. Left the White House in debt uh, after Bill Clinton was president because of their legal bills. And now they're well north of $100 million or something. They're doing fantastically well. So statism works for some people. That's why there's statism. It, It works fantastically for some people. Some guy from the Middle East who gets to Germany makes 10 times his income in Germany for not working than he would have made in the Middle East. (laughs) What's that old line? Why do they fight in the Middle East all the time? Because it's really, really, really hot. And there's not a lot of water. But uh, no, it it works fantastically. You know, if if you're, I mean, you think of the people who who, uh, come to the West, say from Pakistan, and they've got some elderly relative who's got some complicated medical condition, and then they bring that relative in. Uh, on uh, sort of chain migration, and then the elderly relative gets pension, gets gets free access to very sophisticated healthcare, like, that's great for them. Like, that's fantastic. Who who would say no to that? Well, you know, but uh, principles, it's like it's legal and, and it's encouraged, and lots of people say, you know, diversity is fantastic. So, you know, you go to, to neighborhoods, uh, and uh, there are, in, in the emergency room and in the hospitals, there's almost nobody who was born in the country. But for those people... You get access to, you know, pretty good health care for free or mostly for free. So it's pretty good for them. Power mongers, uh, people who, if you, if you like to, to torture and abuse people, man, being a prison guard in North Korea is pretty sweet if you're a sadist, right? So it works really, really well for a lot of people. You can say, well, but it doesn't work for their own abstract interest in the long term, this and that. The other is like, hey, you know, if you're a diabetic in some backwoods village in in Pakistan and you can make it to a Western country, you you, you survive, you flourish, you thrive relative to where you might be back in Pakistan. So what do you mean, like, in the long run and blah, 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 right? I mean, there is no abstract long run. There's immediate preferences. And yeah, there are long-term preferences. I get that as well. But... If you're some woman, you divorce your husband. Jeff Bezos is going through this now, right? So you divorce your husband and you get to take half his stuff. It's legal. It's enforced by the state. It's encouraged by your attorney. And you're mad at your husband. You're frustrated with your husband. So you go and you take, what was it, Paul McCartney's uh, ex-wife took him for, I didn't even remember, tens of millions of pounds. And you can see these, these ridiculous divorce settlements. So, the divorce laws work pretty well for a woman who wants to divorce her husband and take half his stuff. It's great for her to say, oh, well, yes, but in the problem, you know, then your kids may not end up getting married because they're considered, right? You've got more than enough money for your kids. And and if you don't take that money, it's not like the system's going to fall apart. And this is public choice theory 101, right? I mean, let's say some woman says, I don't really agree with these divorce laws and so on, but hey, man, this there's 20 million dollars on the table that's a lot of money and all i have to do is tell my lawyer to go get it and i get a check it's pretty good so this idea that that which is best for the survival of man is the moral no 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 there is no collective man there's only individuals and so with regards to ethics it's not a sustainable theory it's not a system. Because then you have to explain why everyone wants all this free stuff from the state. Well, they want it because it's good for them. It's best for them. So, oh, well, in the long run, blah, blah. You know, it's. I mean, if you think I'm picking on the left, I mean, look at um, George Bush the Younger, right? The uh, 03 starter of the war, right? In, in Iraq, right? What has he got to offer the world if he wasn't president? I mean, he'd be some mid range executive scamming his way through the oil business, and, and or maybe he'd be have a couple of used car lots under his belt um, or whatever, right? I mean, instead of he's being written about and he's being fated and, and touted and, you know, people hanging on, on his every word. I mean, come on. He loves the state. So many people benefit massively from the state. I mean, that's what the real war is about. The real war isn't about left versus right. It isn't about far extremists. It isn't about, isn't fundamentally about free speech. Free speech, like wanting to to deplatform people, is, is nothing to do with any abstract principle. It's to do with resources. That half of the population in the West now gets most, if not all, of their resources from the state. So you've got half the people taking the money and you've got half the people making the money. And They don't want the people who make the money to wake up, to get any kind of solidarity, to push back or anything. They don't want any of that. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, if you've been on welfare for 20 years or three generations, you don't... I mean, you want the end of the welfare? Of course not. You're going to go insane. The women who are considering divorcing their husband because they can take half his stuff, they don't want a reform in the family court system or anything like that. The women who want to have the power to make sexual abuse allegations in divorce, horribly common. did a show on this recently with a fellow. They don't want to lose that power. Say, oh, well, you know, but it's bad. Okay, so that's fine. So then you're saying you have to say to someone, give up two $2 million or $20 million of your husband's money because it's bad for you. And then you have to say, well, there has to be some other standard. And that other standard is UPP, right? So now, of course, because the what is best for humanity uh, is uh, not a, a valid standard. It's basically utilitarianism writ large or the pretend that all human beings have the same interests. No, they don't. Smart people want freedom, and less smart people often want the resources of smart people. I mean, we're not all like salmon in a swift current pointing the same way at all. That's why diversity doesn't work very well, right? So because of that, I did spend 20 years working with and puzzling out this whole question of ethics uh, and... Because of that, the idea that, you know, at the end of Atlas Shrugged, they just rewrite the Constitution. Sorry, you know, it's been 50, 57, it's been like forever, right? That's not, I mean, it's not how it's, not. you can't, can't have a state. Can't have a state in the long run. The state is, is immoral as slavery, and you can't just have a little slavery because it never stays that way. All right. Let's see here. NPC 076, blah, 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 says, as I reread Thomas Paine's Common Sense last month, my mind automatically changed the subject from the British monarchy to our modern-day oppressors. It was a great time. You helped me train my mind. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for your mind. Uh, Maga Mexican says, Stefan could throw on a toga and be an extra in a Greek movie. Hmm. Uh, Message deleted. Thank you very much for your support. Mark Moogle, thank you. Andres Navarro says, Google is removing mines from the Play Store. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's tough, you know. It's tough with uh, all of this competition stuff and all of that, right? Oh, Mark Moogle says, forgot to type my comment in. LOL. (laughs) LOL. Not that I mind helping FDR out with a little more of a donation, Stefan. I would love to see you discuss censorship with sticks and or tim Poole. i was actually just thinking about that today so thank you very much willis k said hey steph loved your monologue at the end of hoaxed thank you two takes no script i was very pleased with that uh hoaxedmovie.com just check it out tony jabroni says is digital piracy a service problem or a consumer problem yeah that's a tough call i mean you to create something and then just have people copy it and consume it's kind of frustrating um I'm not a fan of of government laws protecting IP copyright or these kinds of things. And Jeff Tucker has written some great stuff on that. So you should read that rather than have me go through the articles again. The Hobbes ate Calvin. (laughs) That's from Calvin and Hobbes is an old 80s cartoon. I often hear about utility functions in AI development. Reminds me of conditioning a child to achieve a certain goal. Is there a role for peaceful parenting philosophy in AI research and development? Oh, you're dragging me to a pit that makes many people mad. But there's no such thing as AI. No such thing as artificial intelligence. Machines don't learn. You can program them to do stuff, and you can program them to to try and detect patterns and adapt their behavior and so on. But there's no such thing as artificial intelligence. Intelligence is a giant wetware mystery of the human brain. Nobody understands it in humanity, although people are getting close with some genetics. But um, there's no such thing as artificial intelligence. I mean, I was a computer programmer from the age of 11 until the age, off and on, of, well, over 41. So, yeah, three-plus decades. I know computers very well. Oh, well, things have changed. No, 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 they haven't. No, they haven't. They've just got faster. It's still the same binary. It's still the same on-off switch. So, no, there's no such thing as artificial intelligence. It's a a scare myth. And it's a scare myth designed to get you away from the real danger, which is the state, demographics, the welfare state, all this kind of stuff. So forget about AI. It doesn't matter. Uh, And it will replace some jobs. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question of that. But robots did that in the past. And we don't think that they're terminators, right? So, no, uh, don't worry about AI. All right. Uh, Ray says, uh, Ray Jimenez says, uh, thank you very much for your support. Patrick. Seelock says, I believe freedom of speech and the right to privacy are essential, but the internet is being used for cheap and effective attacks of foreign asymmetric warfare against the West. Your thoughts? P.S. Thanks for everything you do. Asymmetric warfare against the West. Okay, so you want to follow Jack Posobiec. I say this, I know it's Posobiec, but it's Posobiec, P-O-S-O-B-I-E-C, P-O-S-O-B-I-E-C, Posobiec. He's the guy, he's got a whole fourth generation warfare book, and he talks about things that I don't really understand you know like how china is the great strategic enemy and so on and um so i'm not going to give much of an answer to that uh double dog not representing <laughs> that guy says would running for office greatly enhance your exposure yes and would pollute my message paddy leather says why aren't you catholic interview dr e michael jones About how Newton was an alchemist who resurrected the Platonic forms to justify Protestant corruption in science and economics. Be Catholic! That would mean viewing the current Pope as a great authority and uh, the ultimate mouthpiece of divine perfection. And I have a little bit of a trouble. um, (laughs) I have a little bit of a trouble going there with regards to the current Pope. So uh, let's see here. We've got some more. Uh, let me just check these out all right let me get here exposure okay do we need a right-wing free speech, free state project in canada where should we go maybe bancroft area yeah i I, I used to know some people involved in the free state project the free talk live guys and so on i've sort of we've drifted apart over the years but um i don't know how the free state i also have some friends who, who ended up in there I don't really know how the Free State Project is going at the moment, but if anybody knows, please let me know. John Pickwick, thank you for your support, says, what's your advice for an underachiever? What would you say to someone who has delayed his life by a couple of years and out people, and I assume that means cut people out of his life, focus on relationships or building a career, playing catch-up? Being an underachiever, I'm surrounded by people not very similar to me. That is a great question. That's a great question. I felt like an underachiever for a lot of my life. I had a a vague sense of my potential, and I never felt I was manifesting it in the way that I wanted to or or was able to bring it to life in a way that was important. So I did feel like I could do more or could have done more, and the, the good news is I don't really feel like that. I think I'm doing maximum <laughs> way back there used to be an adventure i'll get you a question sorry john but way back in the day there used to be this text-based adventure game called zork there was zork one zork two zork three and a friend of mine was quite excited when he found that there was a uh, setting in zork where you could say verbosity maximum verbosity was like one of the uh, one of the settings and maximum verbosity and so now i have achieved i believe it's fairly safe to say maximum verbosity hey look we're running 60 frames a second how nice um and i'm getting shinier um so when it comes to being an underachiever it's a good question so the aristotelian argument is you won't be happy until you're exercising your full potential in pursuit of the good i think it's kind of true in in many ways if you have a conscience an underachiever I don't want to give you anything glib or, or c- cookie cutter. So, And I also don't want to say, well, you know, what's wrong with being an underachiever? You know, it's a relative measure and blah, blah, blah. Because we kind of know, we know deep down if we're slumming it or not, right? So I think if you have a goal that motivates you, and I think that's probably what you're missing, is do you have... A purpose. Do you have a purpose? Now, if you have a purpose, then you're not just spinning wheels. So think of a car, like, you know, if you if you just put it up on a jack, you can rev it as much as you want, it's never going to go anywhere, right? Because it has no traction. It, the, the rubber is not on the road. It's not walking the talk, blah, blah, blah. It's a bit of a cliche, but you know what I mean, right? So what is it that you want to achieve? What is it that would be a goal that would motivate you? Now, if you have a goal that will motivate you, then you don't have to worry about being an underachiever or or not. And I'll give you sort of a silly example, right? You wake up in the middle of the night in your house, you smell smoke, you're alone in the house, and your house is on fire. What do you do? Do you daydream? Do you play Candy Crush? Do you decide to finally get up and Jordan Peterson-style avoid political realities and tidy your room no what do you do you get the hell out of your house by hook or by crook by any means necessary you get the hell out of your house and if you have to run through fire to get out of your house if that's the only way and uh, then you're you're gonna do it because it could be some affirmative action firewoman coming in weighing a buck ten who's not going to be able to carry your butt out of the house right so th- this is an example right you you don't feel a vague sense of regret or underachievement you're just like i have to get out of that because you have a purpose and your purpose is to not go flambe in your bed right and have the lead guy from fight club come and establish what might have happened was he doing cars yeah he was doing cars anyway so you, you have a purpose and and because you have that purpose your mind is wonderfully clarified you have a huge amount of energy and you just want to achieve something Which is, in this case, to stay alive and not die from burning or smoke inhalation or whatever. I think most people die from smoke inhalation. So if you don't have that purpose, you can lollygag away an afternoon, right? Like that old Pink Floyd song, digging away the hours that make up a dull day. Fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Well, you run and you run to catch up at the sun, but it's sinking. Turning around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, one day closer to death. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun, right? This idea that you could just fritter away your life exists because you don't have a purpose now. I think that we naturally have a purpose. I don't really impose purposes on my daughter, but watching her and interacting with her during the day, she always has a purpose to what she's doing. She's working on this there. Why are you working on this? she almost tell me why, why she's doing this, right? So we're naturally purpose-driven. I mean, all animals are, because the purpose is survival and reproduction. So we're purpose-driven. So the question then becomes, who benefits from you not having a purpose? And I bet if you dig deep, John, into your history, into your life, there's going to be someone or more than one person who would be threatened by you being very successful it would provoke great anxiety in them or self-loathing, self-hatred it could be. And they may be so immature that they would then sabotage you. So if you're playing small and you have no purpose, you are usually serving the pathetic emotional defenses of someone around you who missed the starting gun and did not achieve much with his life or her life. And what they've done which is what most people do, when, see, there's no failure greater than the lack of trying. I mean, you always, you never win any race, you don't enter, right? So it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, and it's better to have tried and failed than never to have tried at all. Trying and failing gives you an immediate pain that can spur you to greater practice, greater focus. But if you never even try, you get to avoid that immediate pain, but you slowly accumulate regret and despair and, and eventually it just becomes pure nihilism because you've missed the whole point of living, which is to do something with your life. Just do something with your life. Hopefully great or to the greatest of your capacity. So I studied as an actor at the National Theatre School, I studied as a playwright, and I did some acting and I did some playwriting and I did some directing. It was okay. I liked it, but it was not my particular thing. And it's a very, very left-wing environment, and that was kind of nasty for a while. Probably even worse now. Now, let's say that my daughter wanted to become an actress, and let's say she was really good. And if I if I didn't have closure with my own sort of acting life, then I'd have a whole lot of complicated stuff around. Especially if she started to really succeed, because I'd sit there and say, "Oh man." I mean, I remember the, the day I got the letter from the National Theatre School that i had been accepted because they take, they take less than 1% of applicants. So 1,600, 1,700 applicants, they take, I think, 16 people. So it was a big deal to get in, and it was actually... I remember I went with my mother to see the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas, where he ended up getting an Oscar. And I thought it was kind of cool that I got a letter of acceptance to the National Theatre School and went to see what is a pretty good film with some great acting from Michael Douglas. So I'd be all kinds of messed up about math. My daughter, I don't think she does, but she wants to be an actress. Be like, yeah, go for it, right? Enjoy, right? I mean, maybe you'll love it and and maybe you'll like the environment more than I did. (laughs) Spending my life around actress. Can you imagine spending the rest of your life around actress? I remember we had, in the theater school, we had a guy come in to, uh, I did a lot of uh, body work, Alexander technique and and stretching and, and yoga and Tai Chi and all that. And... We had a guy come in to film us to to sort of figure out where we might be tight physically and what we might change about our physicality. He filmed us This back when filming was kind of complicated. He filmed us and played us back as we did Tai Chi, and he would point out things about our bodies. And the actors around were like, wow, I didn't realize my hair looked like that from the back. And, oh, man, I got a little bit of back fat. And, oh, man, I got to do some work out on my butt. And, you know, this guy was trying to give us some centered body work, and everybody was just talking about somewhat inconsequential physical characteristics. And he's like, oh, actress. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can... I can get that. I can understand how that could be a little impatient. Um, What is the old line? How do you give an actor CPR? (laughs) So if there are people around you who had potential, who squandered it, then they're going to be very invested in you not succeeding. In you not succeeding. When I was growing up, just about everyone, I I was often the youngest. This is sort of a phase. It's sort of a phase. That I went through for was more than a phase, quite a long time, because I was the youngest. I, when I went to boarding school, I was, if not the youngest, one of the one of the youngest in the um, in the school. My birthday, September twenty fourth, was like right after the beginning of school year, so I was really really young there, and it just kind of worked out that way that I was just always the youngest, and so I always felt like kind of small, kind of catch up, you know, particularly in those times where, you know, like like 11 to 13 or 12 to 14, where there's a huge change in, in the male body and so on. So I just I always felt youngest and, and smallest and so on. And when you get imprisoned in this kind of mindset, it's tough to break out of it because you kind of need the permission of people to break out of a mindset because it's so easy for them to reinforce that mindset in you and put you back into that, way of thinking. And so when I decided, like, I have a lot of gifts to share with the world, and I want to really do good in the world, I really worked hard to overcome this sense of smallness and and insignificantness and youngness. And because you're younger, you're considered to be naive. Because I was really into philosophy, I was considered to be way too abstract and, and ineffectual and not practical. Like, all of this stuff, it was all of these little prisons that, that, that people build in your mind about who you are and what your potential is and what you're capable of and you know you think of Gulliver's travels right when he's in the Lilliputians and they chain him down with these tiny chains but there's lots of them he could break each individual chain but he's kind of strapped down with all these chains you, you have to kind of just stand up and, and snap those chains and some people will be like yeah, you know what, you, you, this was, like, from years ago, and, and this is not fair. Like, I said this before in a show, like, you drop two plates in a family, in dysfunctional families, and suddenly you're the clumsy one who drops everything. And that's just who you are, right? And then there's this confirmation bias. Other people drop things, and they say, well, at least I'm not this person who drops things all the time. And if you don't drop things for a while, it's like nobody notices, but then the moment you drop, them, oh, you're, you you dropped something again, you're the driver. This is kind of cliches... They're not knowledge. They're they're very restrictive. And they can choke the life out of your life itself. So I would say, who does your underachievement serve? And if not you, who else? And can you talk to them about that and get them to release you in a sense? And if they won't release you, release yourself. Dear Banner, what are are your views about speciesism? I really don't have any. Kirkpatrick, do you support mandatory for-profit vaccines by companies who are not liable for damages? How is that different from taxpayer... Subsidised illegal immigration with welfare for all. Well, no, I mean because I'm I'm a voluntarist because I want a stateless society. I, I don't believe that the government should mandate this stuff at all. No, I mean this this should be something that is subject to uh, scientific review. Uh, it should be something that you know can they spread out the vaccines a little bit more? Um, and uh, I I'm certainly no Expert on the knowledge. I was chatting about this with a friend the other day, who was saying, "You know, like I all I do is is question the the cluster, the massive cluster of vaccines that are given to kids." And suddenly, I'm an anti-vaxxer. And it's like, no, vaccines are good. I don't like smallpox. You know, I I still have my what is it up here? I don't know if you can see this. I can't receive it. But yeah, I still have. I remember that needle that they gave you, ding ding ding, for the smallpox vaccine when I was in boarding school. I'm I'm glad for vaccines Uh, do i think that being run by the government and being paid for by the government and having for-profit companies providing massive amounts of vaccines is good well no it's not good because it's not moral because it's coercive so um double dog not representing this dude says can you talk about how terrible the type of kids are that run around water fountains until they fall in and tear their shorts I did not tear my shorts, if I remember rightly, but I certainly did run around until I fell in. That's an old story of mine. Machine Bahamut says, I'll be putting too much emphasis on social media because voting patterns ideology are largely genetic. How many posts actually change a person's mind? Seekers of truth will always seek the truth. Right, right, right. So I pointed this out on Twitter. At Stefan Molyneux, if you're not following me, you should. I pointed this out on Twitter that... Our political beliefs have significant genetic bases, and therefore banning people based upon their political beliefs is practicing a form of genetic discrimination. And that's true. You know, that's that's true. And we have tendencies towards truth. And we have tendencies towards lies, right? We have tendencies towards confirmation bias of that which comes easiest to us. And that's why the people who aren't leftists are just better at the truth than leftists. It's why they can meme. It's why they're more curious. It's why they're funnier in general. Because, you know, we live in a leftist world. We live in a leftist world. And if you're exposed to leftist views and you can still criticize the left, well, you're indoctrinated with leftist views and you still criticize the left, you're just smarter. You're just more curious and so on. So I would say that... um, There is a lot of incentive. Somebody taking money from the welfare state can't be objective about the welfare state. There's a lot of incentive. And there's also a lot of genetics involved, which is why we need philosophy, why we need to be able to subsume our own particular preferences towards a universal objective truth standard. So, and I don't know whether we are preventing disaster... Or whether we are simply documenting the decline so that we gain authority when it happens. Because you know, people ask me this all the time. So, uh, are we going to make it? Is it going to do this? Is it going? I can't. I can't give myself that. I can't give myself that certainty. It's like saying, "Well, I'm you know, I'm over fifty. I'm destined to gain weight." So what do you do? Well, you, you don't restrain your diet, you don't increase your exercise, you oh, okay it's gonna gain weight. Oh, it's inevitable, right? So the moment you some you think something's inevitable, the great danger is it's a self fulfilling prophecy. People say, Are we gonna win? I don't know. It depends what you do, it depends what I do. Say, so do we have any chance of winning? Well, sure we have a chance of winning. Of course, because we're in unknown territory with the internet. I mean, The numbers of people who tell me they've stopped spanking the children and have decided to have kids at all because of this show is, well, legion. It's legion. So I don't know what the future holds. There is no future but what we make. Isn't that the old Terminator line? But, And I won't give myself that certainty because that certainty will affect what I do. If I think we're going to win for sure, then I won't try as hard. If I think we're going to lose for sure... I won't try as hard. And that difference between trying and not trying as hard may be the difference between winning and losing. So, no, I won't. I won't make those predictions. I don't have those predictions in my head. I don't even entertain those predictions. All right. The Fall of Home says, If the principle is free speech, should yelling fire in a crowd inciting violence be protected? The idea originated in 1919 to stop a man speaking out against the draft. We need to push principle. Uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a tough call. It's a tough call. The, the fire in a crowded theater, as again to my knowledge, has never happened. Incitement to violence. Well, there was um, I can't remember his name. Was it Mike Brown's death? I can't remember, but there was some guy who was like, "Let's burn this mf'er down," and you know was definitely trying to get a riot going, and nobody punished him, as far as I know. I don't know. If if you teach people rationally, if you have better education, they won't be susceptible to this kind of stuff. So, A Gary Coleman fan, well, that's an obscure reference. Says, why is our president afraid to say the words Infowars? Alex Jones and Milo aren't those the people who got him elected? Uh, no, didn't didn't uh, Trump share an Infowars video? I don't. Anyway, all right. Uh, Martin Madrigal says, "Hello, Stefan. Can you please give us your insight on Julius Evola and his ideas as a philosopher? Would you ever make a video on Evola? Thank you very much." Couldn't couldn't tell you who that guy is to save my life. Have I heard the name before? I think so, but I don't know if you if you can make a case for it. Then then uh, make a case for it. All right, let's do a couple more if that's all right, my friends, and uh, then we will get back to our regularly scheduled uh, Sunday activities. I hope you're having a wonderful. Sunday And again, thank you, everyone, so much for your support uh, here or at uh, freedomandradio.com forward slash donate. Oh, a couple more. All right. Let's see here. Uh, somebody said highly illegal. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Sorry. Baron Hippo uh, says, thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, somebody gave me four-part messages about rebuttals to libertarians like David Gordon on the Mises website. You clearly demonstrated how their arguments were, dot, dot, dot. Uh, Tim Franklin. My friend got his Tinder girlfriend pregnant. All of us but him saw red flags. She is far leftist. He's staying with her for the soon baby. Baby has same genetic immune disease as her, won't let him see family or friends. What should he do? Ooh, um, I mean, maybe, maybe he just serves. Maybe, maybe his the, the purpose of this is for him to serve as a warning to, like, just stop spray and pray when it comes to your sperm. You got to hoard that stuff like it's the last drops of water in a desert. Marusia Dark says, "Would you debate Scott Adams and Sam Harris on free will?" I wrote an article called "The Origins of Morality," explaining ethics in pure will to power. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. Scott Adams, I like. Uh, Sam Harris, uh, I'd be happy to debate. But, I mean, Sam Harris not going to debate with me. I mean, because of that sort of fiery moat that's been put around me, it takes a certain amount of integrity and, frankly, courage to um, say that that's just a bunch of nonsense and I'm a reasonable and and uh, um, rational guy. But, uh, yeah, Sam Harris not going to not going to respond to debate requests. Butterfly Cyclist says, thank you. Thank you very much. Pre-built Rain 42. Loved your content. Really helped me. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, Oh, okay, what happened? Okay, so people, I think this is related to Mises.org. People didn't say, oh, wow, thanks for illuminating this concept and correcting us and providing us with these new valid points. Yeah, Yeah. there are lots of people who claim to be rational who aren't. Uh, Mr. Surrendered says, I'm a Christian student at Iowa State University. I recently interviewed your friend, Roaming Millennial, and was hoping to interview you too. Well, send me a message. I will be happy to look at that. Moondog says, Sandra Russ, PhD, in her book, Pretend Play in Childhood, Foundation of Adult Creativity, upper middle class, white parents, encourage this type of play in their kids, which causes leftism, correct? Pretend play causes leftism? I don't know about that. Um, uh, What are your thoughts on the book, None Dare Call a Conspiracy? I've heard the name. I don't know about it. Sorry. John Pickwick says, thank you so, so much for your advice. Thank you. John Bob says, I've talked to pro-vaccine advocates. Their argument for why such a large cluster of vaccines is okay is because children are exposed to thousands of pathogens throughout their life. The cluster is a drop in the bucket. Yeah, again, I I don't know. Uh, I don't know. um, You'll have to debate that with people who are experts in the field. That's not me. David Lupica says, Stefan, finding you has shown me what I can strive to be someday. Thank you. I will join you in the fight soon. Thank you very much. All uh, right, Julius Avola again. What are your thoughts on working in a bank? Got to work somewhere. A bank is not the end of the world. Alien, new solution by Slav uh, Slavos. Yeah, I mean, you can give me these recommendations. They're going to kind of come and go. Uh, give me a case as to why I should read them, and it's going to be much more likely that I'll end up. But it's really, really tough finding time to, to read through books in the maybe, maybe that I'll find some value or something to do a show in on them, so... All right. Well, listen, I really, really appreciate everyone's time. Thank you. Uh, I hope that you will show your support to the people who have been banned and uh, and, and help them out and and spread the message and spread the word. Uh, the future is not carved in stone. I believe in free will. And whoever wants the future more is the one most likely to get the future. That's no guarantee, of course. But it definitely is something that we can aim to achieve. So fight for freedom Fight peacefully for reason and evidence. Share the good news of philosophy. Support me or whoever you find best at this kind of stuff or everyone. Uh, You can help me out at freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Thank you guys so much for another absolutely wonderful chat. Um, Oh, yeah, let me know uh, what you think. Um, Let me know. I'd like to schedule these on a more regular basis. And I was just curious what you guys thought. What would be a good... Uh, time i was sort of thinking friday night but i'm not sure how many of you are out at raves and uh, would not be able to hear me because you're thirsty and disoriented but um yeah let me know what you think uh i was thinking maybe a friday night but uh uh, you can let me know in the chat or or of course um uh you can let me know when i post this on uh uh, on twitter i guess not facebook but um yeah so thanks everyone